How we doing, traders? Welcome to the SPACs attack. Yes, we're going to be getting into aerospace. We talked about these companies. We've talked to Joby. We've taken a look at these companies. So get ready. We're going to talk to another one, one that has impressed me. And I know Chris is going to be super excited to get into the interview. Let's go ahead and jump right into the show. We're going to get into headlines and hit that interview as fast as we can. Let's go ahead. You guys start us up with a thumbs up. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's going tra- What's going on, traders? How are we doing out there? Let's go ahead and bring in the brains to this show. Chris Ketchy, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Mitch? Yeah, happy Friday to everyone out there. Starting the show up a little late, but we're here. We got the headlines. We we got an interview, and we'll also try to hit ticker time at the end of the show. So stay tuned, everyone. Uh, it's going to be a great episode here. Yeah, guys, like it says at the bottom, up next, we'll be getting into BSN, which is a company that's going to be merging into an aerospace play. Guys, you know, one thing that we've talked about is how we've really taken a step into these kind of plays that have come to the market. We're going to bring you another one today. But first thing, we got a couple of headlines. I know Chris wants to get right through that. Let's go ahead and knock those out. All right, guys. Yeah, quiet Friday out there. No new deals. I'm not seeing any rumors. Um, But let's get to some headlines. We do have some analyst notes out there. So up first, SMFR, SEMA 4 Holdings. Jeffrey is initiating coverage with a buy rating and a price target of $13. So uh, SEMA for SMFR. This one that's under $10 right now. Uh, got a nice little uptick this morning, but up about 2% right now. Then we have Payoneer, Pay- P-A-Y-O Citigroup initiating coverage with a buy rating and a price target of $12.50. Um, one of those fintech plays. This one is uh, starting to creep back up to the $10 level. Uh, we'll see if Payoneer can get back up there. And then Proterra, Barclays initiating coverage on Proterra PTRA with a price target of $10. Uh, Proterra, remember electric uh, buses and vehicles. The $10 call here, um, this is an equal weight rating. Not great considering the stock is trading right around $10. Um, this continues to be one of my favorites going forward as I think we get some new electric bus deals. And then speaking of electric buses, we also have Lion Electric, LEV. Barclays initiating coverage with an overweight rating and a price target of $17. So there you have your pair trade. Barclays essentially coming out and picking Lion Electric as the one that it favors more over Proterra. So interesting. I like both of them. I think this sector's got room for many players, um, but Barclays here taking the Lion Electric side. Then Fisker. FSR, we've got to talk about this one. Uh, you know, I own shares of Fisker. I like the story going forward. Mitch and I both highlighted this one this week, and we said, what's the next event to watch for, right? November, the LA Auto Show. And here you have a tweet from Henrik Fisker last night saying, uh, the global debut electric Fisker Ocean production intent vehicle at 2021 LA Auto Show, November 19th. Delivery start Q4 2022. 
Come check out the ocean's never-before-seen technological innovations. We will have several vehicles on display. Look at that chart on Fisker, the volume kicking in there. Um, you know, Henrik Fisker, he's no stranger to Twitter. Um, but uh, again, LA Auto Show, November 19th. I think that is going to be a major event for them with all eyes on the ocean. Then we have Hellbiz, HLBZ. Uh, they're a global leader in micro mobility. Shares have been running recently on that media arm, you know, selling the rights to soccer games. But they announced uh, their official arrival in California today. They're going to deploy those e scooters, uh, Santa Barbara County. They have a one year permit. Initial fleet will roll out and expand throughout the county. Um, Help is now uh, obviously a leader overseas, but they are expanding into more and more cities here in the U.S. You see that chart. Coincidentally, Helbiz has micro mobility news out today and shares are down. But again, this one was a high flyer over the past couple trading sessions based on, you know, the other uh, media arm news. So not surprised to see profit taking. But again, micro mobility is the big story here to watch. I think the media, you know, is not going to be as big of a revenue driver for them. And then we do have redemption deadlines today. Uh, several tickers, M-A-A-C, D-M-Y-I, G-L-E-O, S-T-P-C, C-A-H-C, S-P-F-R, and P-T-K. I will note D-M-Y-I already starting to run up. Uh, Ion-Q, Quantum Computing, of course, the, the company there. And C-A-H-C is a, a biotech deal and a smaller float. So that would also be one to put on the watch list. Um, for next week's merger votes. Uh, that's what I've got for headlines, Mitch. Again, not not a ton out there today for Friday. And also looking at the chart, it doesn't look like we uh, the watch list. It doesn't look like we're getting a ton of big moves out there either. All right. So we, we want to get right into our interview today. But one thing I wanted to mention before we get to that interview is how cool of a website they have. You know, we, we get to see a lot of these websites um, and a lot of times I, I look at the websites and I'm like, oh, just a simple website, you know, but I really enjoyed how you, when you come to the website, you get the feeling of exactly what you're looking at. So definitely, I think it's a, a pretty good website. So whoever designed this, give them a good thumbs up. You guys give us a good thumbs up. We're going to get right into our interview, Chris. Do what we do best where we unlock SPACs. So let's go ahead and nail this out. You guys give us a thumbs up. Got another great interview for you guys today right now coming up all right guys another exclusive interview here on SPACs attack joining us on the show we have Stephen Fitzpatrick the CEO and founder of vertical aerospace company going public via with broadstone acquisition ticker BSN and also I will note the company's new ticker will be EVTL. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Awesome. Well, let's dive right into questions. You know, we're, we're SPACs attack. We talk all things SPACs and de-SPAC companies. One of the first questions we like to start out with here is, you know, why the decision for vertical aerospace to go public via a SPAC and was a traditional IPO also considered by your company? Yeah, so it's a question that you know, everybody asks, um, uh, but it still it really deserves a great answer. So one of the things that we really loved about what we saw in the SPAC opportunity 
was the ability not just to talk to our investors and to to, to talk about all the prospects and the, the 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 work that we're doing the the really exciting future technology that we're bringing and so on but also um when you think about the vehicles that we're building uh, these are really novel aircraft they're going to transform how we think about traveling around cities and in between cities and so on but they're pretty new aircraft so i think it's it, it, we we need to do a really great job in engaging with passengers all over the world um, about getting giving them confidence to ride in these vehicles so two things first of all going public uh, really helps with that credibility and i think we've seen there's you know big momentum in the ev toll space uh, around going public and especially through specs um, but then also um, you know working with really established industry partners so uh, world class and, and and world's leading airlines like american like virgin atlantic like gol in in brazil and and taking the company public was a great way to bring those guys into our ecosystem as well so there was a lot of advantages it, it happened uh, you know a lot faster than it normally would under a normal ipo process and so we were able to speak to investors um, go through the the spac process and then we hope get right back to really focusing on uh, designing and building these amazing aircraft and not spend the next 12 18 months uh, going through an ipo perfect so you mentioned you know the evtol space can you just give you know viewers out there who aren't familiar with either the EVTOL market or vertical aerospace, a little bit more about your company and how you play into that ecosystem. Sure, so uh, EVTOL stands for Electric Vertical Takeoff and Landing. Um, these are vehicles that uh, I think we probably used to call flying cars. Uh, now we're calling them more like air taxis or EVTOLs. Um, these are vehicles that will take off and land vertically, like the name would suggest, electrically powered. Um, we're flying about 200 miles an hour when we're in cruise, but we don't need a runway. So we take off from a, a, either a, a skyport or a helipad, if you want to think of it in traditional um, uh, infrastructure terms. So you can take off from any helipad. The beauty of these aircraft, because they're electrically powered, they're really, really quiet. They're about 100 times less noisy than a helicopter when they're in cruise. They're also about 100 times safer. We're certifying this aircraft to uh, the IASA uh, EVTOL standard. That's the same safety rating as would be a Boeing or an Airbus uh, that, that you would fly in transatlantic. So these are about 100 times safer than a helicopter. And because they are electrically powered, they've got very few moving parts compared to a traditional helicopter. So the operating costs, the maintenance and so on, super, uh, uh, super low. Um, we, we actually think when, when we bring these uh, planes to market in just three years time, it's going to be about a fifth of the cost of flying in a helicopter. So an 80% cost reduction, meaning that these vehicles are going to be uh, available for and affordable for just about anybody that lives in a city in North America or Europe. So it's really going to transform. It's like, you know, helicopters are amazing, but they're really for wealthy people with a very high risk appetite. And so these vehicles are going to be, you know, for everybody that lives in cities. Perfect. So, you know, you mentioned uh, a, a couple names um, at the top of some partners and companies you work with. Uh, another item we always talk about, you know, on SPACs Attack here is some of the investors, right? So, you know, immediately jumps off the page from the investor presentation and the PR that some big investors in vertical aerospace, Microsoft, American Airlines, Honeywell, Rolls-Royce, um, can you talk a little bit just, you know, to start with some of these uh, investors in the company and what that may mean for, you know, validation to potential new retail investors out there? Yeah, look, Chris, I think that's a great question and something we really focused on when we were doing our raise um, and going through the SPAC process. 
we have been working hard for five years. Um, it's been a relatively stealthy or behind the scenes existence. We haven't gone for a lot of PR. And we, we haven't had a big retail following um, some of our competitors, but we, we really, really focused on the quality of the engineering. We've hired hundreds of engineers from these enormous aerospace companies and, and really gone for experience over youthful vigor and confidence, let's say. So we've got 1,700 years of experience on the engineering team that certified 30 different aircraft or jet propulsion systems between them. And focusing on the engineering has meant that when we go and speak to airlines, when we go and speak to our technology partners, you know, we're speaking their language and we are really working within a, a world-class aerospace engineering ecosystem. And so when it came to the investment, when it, when it came to our go-to-market strategy, I think we've been able to demonstrate just how sophisticated the design, the credibility of the team. And so we've really gotten the backing of the experts in the sector. And I think it's really important for investors coming in uh, to eVTOL, it's new to everybody. You know, there, there, there's never been an opportunity to invest in an eVTOL company in a public market up until a few few weeks ago, a few months ago. Um, so we really think the validation that's coming from being backed by these industry leaders that you know they're world class experts in their in their own technologies. It's a real validation of the team, the strategy, and the uh, uh, and the the vehicle. And then along with those big investments, you know, that we just talked about, you also have some strategic partners. So you know, you mentioned American Airlines. Virgin, uh, Goal, and some others. Can you talk a little bit about what these partnerships look like uh, in terms of pre-orders, commitments, and how these companies will help push vertical aerospace going forward? Yeah, sure. So one of the um, the big opportunities we see in the early years, and, and as we're, we're on track to certify these vehicles in 2024, so uh, we think one of the very first opportunities is going to be working with airlines to help build uh, extension routes uh, from from their airport hubs and and giving a a wonderful pre and post flight experience to their passengers. So we wanted to work with the world's leading airlines and most innovative airlines. Um, before we announced our SPAC merger, we we had a, a, a partnership that we announced with Virgin Atlantic in the UK. American Airlines in the US, so some really big names. Um, but then also, and really critically, Avalon, um, which is the world's second largest aircraft finance and leasing company. Uh, and why that's important is that we are looking at a global opportunity uh, for EV tolls. Um, some of the world's largest cities are in emerging markets where they, they stand to benefit the most from uh, the, 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 the ability to fly over downtown traffic. And so, in those markets, the, the, the least financing of aircraft is how airlines uh, run their business. And so working with Avalon, they've got a, nearly a thousand aircraft, $30 billion of assets that they manage. And having them stand beside us and you know validate our design, validate the safety, validate the, 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 the strategy of the company means that we're able to walk into so many discussions of airlines all over the world. So whether it's Gol in, in Brazil or you know we're working with Maro Beni in, in Japan, uh, these are going to be enormous markets for for eVTOL and, and and Avalon have got 150 different airline customers uh, that they are pushing this through their distribution channels. I, I want to talk a little bit about the timeline. Um, you know, commercial operations set for 2024. Can you walk us through? You know, what happens? You know, from now until 2024 to kind of get the company set up for you know that huge uh, catalyst coming. <laughs> Yeah, so we, like I said, we started in 2016. We built two full-scale prototypes, um, a, a single-seater. Then we we developed a passenger with two, uh, sorry, pilot with two passenger 
uh, vehicle. And then we've now moved on to the, the X4, four passengers um, and uh, pilot, obviously. So that's the one that we're taking certification and we're already in production now for the, the uh, production prototype. Um, there's a series of, um, a lot of test flying hours. There's a lot of different programs that, that we've got to go through. We've already been working with the regulators in Europe for three years doing things like certification of battery systems and uh, specifying motor requirements and so on. So we're you know, three years into the journey of certification. A lot of work still ahead of us. Um, 2024 is when um, we're, we're expecting to bring the product to market. One of the things that makes us different from a lot of our competitors is that we don't want to be the operator of these vehicles. So we want to be an OEM um, and, and not run the passenger operations, all the route planning, uh, the, the passenger booking, pilot uh, training, and, and so on. We want to design, manufacture, and then service these vehicles. And so when it comes to, I think, part 135 uh, operator licensing, uh, which you need to, to operate passenger service, this isn't something that we need to go through. Uh, and so we start off relatively small. I think we've got 50 units production in our first year, 200 to 250 year two, and then ramping up uh, to year three. So um, th there's a there's a, you know, a lot of work to do, but we're, we're working with the world's leading uh, suppliers. We've got the world's most experienced design team. So we look like we're in good shape. You mentioned, you know, uh, the production ramp up. I want to get into that a little bit. You know, once you hit the commercial operations in 2024, you know, we talk about scaling up and your company is targeting profitability and cash flow break even uh, once hitting 100 aircraft. I mean, that seems like a, a pretty small number here. Talk about how you're able to, you know, achieve profitability at that level and also how production scale up will really increase, you know, margins and the financial outlook? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, when I founded this business, I, I looked at aerospace and, you know, it's really capital intensive. If you do it the wrong way, you can sink a lot of money uh, into designing your, certifying your aircraft. So what we wanted to do was de-risk that path to certification and then also de-risk the path to scale. So one of the reasons we don't want to be an operator is that we don't want to have to carry all the aircraft on our balance sheet and then start to ramp up passenger demand and so on once when we sell the aircraft you know we're, we're booking the revenue then um, the second thing we wanted to work with a, a great supply chain so rather than reinventing the wheel or reinventing the wing let's say uh, we are working with rolls-royce on electrical propulsion honeywell on avionics uh, gkn on, on a lot of our structures solve on on high temperature composites so we've got this great supply chain a lot of the cost of the production units are already really locked down. Um, and then when you think about the performance of the aircraft, the um, the operating cost for the operators of the aircraft, a fraction of what the equivalent performance payload of a helicopter would be. And also the production costs a fraction because when you think about helicopters, they are really complex machines. Um, they're powered by jet turbines, super expensive to manufacture, tens of thousands of moving parts. And you really can't bring down the cost of the unit cost of a helicopter. Whereas uh, we'll be selling these aircraft at $4 million. It's about half the uh, cost of an equivalent performance helicopter. And we've already got orders that take us through, you know, three and a half years of production. And so we think we're going to be demand constrained, you know, certainly for the rest of this decade. And with our supply chain partners, uh, you know, a lot of the components for the aircraft, a lot of the subsystem technologies will be arriving to our factory and then our assembly 
is is relatively straightforward. I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to, you know, under underplay the complexity of, of the aircraft or, or, or building up that uh, interest. But relative to building every single subsystem ourselves, um, I think this is a really disciplined and, and much lower risk approach to scaling the manufacturing. So we're leveraging not just the R&D capability of uh, Honeywell and Rolls-Royce and GK and so on, but also their manufacturing capabilities as well. And so that that's going to help us achieve scale a lot faster. Perfect. Thanks for, you know, that that great explanation. Uh, you know, the the big question, I think, from the chat and, of course, was one of my questions. You mentioned, you know, that up until, you know, this year we didn't have, you know, an EVTOL publicly traded company. And now, you know, thanks to SPACs and the, you know, increased interest in the market, we are seeing, you know, more players out there. Uh, so the big question is, you know, what separates vertical aerospace from some of your competitors? What are some key, you know, differentiating factors? How are you different and how can vertical be better? Yeah. So, again, great questions and the questions that investors should be asking. Um, there's a few things that I think make us different. And obviously, therefore, <laughs> I think they make us better. Um, but, um, we have this really enormous opportunity in front of us. The the, the the electrification of flights is really going to disrupt the whole industry, um, and EV tolls are completely new modes of transport that you know we we didn't have, didn't even dream of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But we're approaching this in a really disciplined way. So you know, we, we've said already we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to have to redesign and rebuild all of these subsystem technologies ourselves. We're working with great partners, and it's really massively reducing our capex needs. Um, we don't want to operate these vehicles ourselves, so it really simplifies our business model. We focus on um, designing, certifying, building, and then servicing these vehicles and working in really close partnership with uh, local market experts and mobility service providers. So I think just there you've got something that's really different from some of the other competitors in the space that have described themselves as wanting to become you know, the Uber and the Tesla uh, of the skies. It's a great ambition. We're very very focused on a much simpler business model so that's the that's the first thing secondly um, the, the 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 partnerships that we've already developed the um, pre-order uh, uh, sorry the the, the, the pre-orders that we've got totally now five five and a half billion dollars um, uh, with a multitude of customers all over the world uh, it really helps us to validate that route to market um, uh, it helps validate the technology choices that we've made. And then lastly, of course, as I said, that the engineering team that we've developed, we've been very, very focused on being an engineering-led organization. Um, I think the challenge in eVTOL is not about selling the vision. It's not about, you know, the idea that you can fly over downtown traffic at 200 miles an hour and arrive at your destination, you know, at the same price of, as taking a cab. That idea sells itself. The challenge that we face is actually designing and certifying the aircraft. And it's an engineering challenge. And it's not one where you can take shortcuts. And I would say even the building of prototypes and so on is not the thing that you want to look at. You need to understand, can these companies bring this product to market and certify it? And the number one thing in aerospace that you know I learned very early on, the challenge is not proving that it works. The challenge to certify is proving that it will never fail. And it's a completely different type of engineering. It's a completely different type of organization. And so 
you know, when I, I look at our, our, our business strategy, when I look at our uh, partnerships, both industrial partnerships and commercial partnerships, when I look at the, the quality of the engineering team that we've been able to build, um, you know, I really like our strategy. It's very simple. Uh, and and it, it, it's you know, certainly for us, we, we find the very fastest route to scale in what is going to be an enormous global opportunity. I think one uh, differentiating factor for, for vertical aerospace here is you got that sweet ticker, right? EVTL. <laughs> I mean, how did none of these competitors jump the line and, and get that one from you? I, I think that's a, a great pull there for some brand awareness in the EVTOL space to secure that that great ticker. So nice and nice and easy to remember that one yeah exactly talk about i mean who's going to be the leader in evtol i don't know i'll search for the ticker and look what i found so um you know with that being said and you know the talk about competition i i'm just curious you know if you can give us you know a look at the total addressable market size right for the evtol and you know is there room for you know multiple players here uh, do you do we think there'll be some consolidation in the future? How do you see EVTOLs kind of playing out over the next five to ten years? You know, I think ten years is a long way out for anybody to think about. I mean, imagine making a ten-year prediction in January last year; you would have been wrong after you know two months. Um, so, when I look at this market, I would say the barriers to success are reasonably high. Um, the, the quality of the organization that you need to build in order to bring a vehicle to cert through certification to market. I mean, the, the, the path to certificate is, is really it's really hard to you know, design and build a new aircraft from scratch. So uh, it, there's a really high, a big challenge there. Um, an enormous addressable market. I think a lot of people have talked about, you, you know, if you think you can travel at 200 miles an hour, almost silently over cities, you can fly from, even with today's technology, you can fly from you know, New York to Philadelphia, for example, um, uh, in uh, about 40, 45 minutes. So that's rooftop to rooftop, that's gonna be an awesome service. Flying from JFK to downtown Manhattan in like nine minutes for $50, $60, that's something that there's gonna be a huge demand for that. Um, when we look at the future, we also see that we're going to be uh, pretty quickly getting to hybrid variants. So either combustion engines running in sustainable aviation fuel or hydrogen fuel cell hybrids that are going to greatly increase the range. Um, and so that even, you know, enlarging the, the addressable market. One of the things that we looked to um, was some of the constraints that we might face um, as the market grows. And, and certainly one of the things that we see being a big uh, constraint in the early days is going to be infrastructure. So it's going to take time to build more and more skyports uh, to take off from. So what we wanted to do was make sure our vehicle was going to be great for those short missions, like JFK to Manhattan, the 10, 15 minute missions, but also the longer range missions where you're, you know, you're in the air for 100, 120 miles. Uh, because I think that's going to be a bigger addressable market when we bring these products uh, you know, to, to service in, in 2024 and 2025. So the slightly longer range missions are gonna be more valuable, a, a bigger addressable market in the early days. So there's, there's room for competition. It's a massive global opportunity. Um, I don't think it's gonna be dozens and dozens of eVTOL manufacturers. I think it's going to be smaller companies that are more agile and, and are able to um, keep up to pace with the developments of technology that are gonna uh, win in this space ultimately. Um, but so i.e. there'll be new companies like Vertical um, that are uh, attracting 
really great talent and bringing this technology to bear. Um, but you know, whether it's five or six, I think there's lots of room in the market for for different types of vehicles servicing different markets and different mission types. Perfect. So you know, now that you will become a, a publicly traded company, you know, investors always want to know, you know, what's next. What what events should we be looking forward to? So we talked a little bit about the timeline. I know that you recently held an analyst day um, earlier this week. Do you expect you know? analyst coverage uh, from some of these people that were there? And can you talk a little bit about, you know, when will we see prototypes, um, you know, flying in the future? Yep. So the milestones mostly that you're going to want to look for are around the the path to certification. Um, so we've already, as I said, we've got orders that if we could fulfill them today, it would take us three years to fulfill them today already. And, you know, we're really just getting started. The, um, the path to certification is about flying prototypes. It's about going through unmanned flight programs, then manned test flight programs. Then you know you, you need to uh, go through uh, just years of testing and validation with the Air, Air uh, Safety Authority, so the EASA uh, and the CAA in our case, FAA for North American eVTOL companies. Um, so there's there's always lots of milestones that come out, um, you know, proof points and validation points that come out that de-risk or show that the progress towards certification. So those are going to be the main uh, data points you're going to look for. Perfect. Uh, we do have a, a couple questions um, from the chat. I, I want to highlight just a couple here. Uh, we do have a question from John, and this one's interesting because I, I know part of the answer to this. So uh, he said, will we need to produce more advanced batteries before EV tools can fly? Um, I saw your presentation. I know you guys have some battery technology. So can you just talk a little bit about that and how maybe that differentiates vertical here? Yeah, so we have partnered with... Um great aerospace tier one suppliers for a lot of the subsystem technologies. One of the, 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 the things we wanted to do ourselves and keep close was the design of the battery and the, the battery management system. So the, the, the way we put the cells together and then the software we use to operate them. Uh, at the moment, we are uh, we're using commercially available cells. I think it's super important in aerospace. You need to you need to have demonstrated the industrialization process. You need to get, you know, really high levels of consistency. You need to have traceability. Um, and so you can't be using cells that are just in the lab right now because it's going to be a long, long time before they get certified to fly uh, on an airplane. So we use an industrially, uh, commercially available cells, about 270 watt hours per kilo. Um, so at the higher end of the automotive range, um, at a pack level, it's more like 220. And that gives us about 110, 120 miles of useful range. And then beyond that, of course, we've got reserves for diversions and so on that you would need for, for safety. Um, but 110, 120 mile range. And, and the, the, the higher the energy density that we get in the battery, the, the bigger that range gets. And of course, we would expect over time um, that, that the energy density of the cell level continues to, to increase. There are some limits, you know, you get to with lithium ion, but certainly 150, 160, 170 miles uh, will be possible. Beyond that, we're going to need to see some new chemistry that, you know, doesn't really exist commercially, or we're going to need a hybrid uh, system. Like I said, hydrogen um, uh, or, or combustion engine. Um, we've already tested a twin jet turbine 
battery hybrid powertrain in Bristol. So we're kind of already, you know, looking at that um, hybridization that will give us a range of like 500 miles plus. Um, so that's, you know, New York, Washington, LA, San Francisco, London, Paris, you know, really great, useful range. Um, and so that's more, more where we, we think we're going. Um, any new battery chemistry that comes out, whether it's sodium, aluminium, air, all of this new novel stuff, it's going to be a long, long time before it gets tested enough uh, to be put in an aircraft. So we're not banking on any uh, new breakthrough technologies anytime soon. But right now, with you know 270 watt hours per kilo, that that's already enough to give us these really useful vehicles. Perfect. Well, it looks like the chat, you know, is loving this. Uh, we've talked so much about the EV toll market. So always happy to have on, you know, another company in this space. So again, for viewers out there, Stephen Fitzpatrick, the CEO of Vertical Aerospace, company going public with Broadstone Acquisition, ticker BSN. And when that merger is completed, of course, that new ticker will be EVTL, one that you guys should be able to remember Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the show. And we look forward to, you know, following along with your company's progress. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. All right. Well, you guys heard it here. You know, another exclusive interview here. Uh, Vertical Aerospace, you know, this EVTOL market, you know, so exciting. Um, you know, I, I love the partnerships. I love the investments. Uh, Mitch, you know, uh, Microsoft, Honeywell, American Airlines, Rolls-Royce. Uh, you know, all these companies just jump off the page, right? That they're investors, they're partners. And that battery talk at the end, I mean, it sounds like they have the battery stuff figured out and they're ready to roll. They're just waiting on, you know, the certifications to get to the skies. Yes, yeah, something that we'll definitely keep an eye out. I, I did like this slide in here that showed um, pretty much an average flight here that would be about 16 minutes in journey time on on it and about $65 in cost there when that taxi or Uber would take you 83 minutes and $45 cost. So I think, I think he has something right there that I think, you know, as long as you're looking in that price point, like let's say, I think even 50 to a hundred dollars, if it can get us there faster and it can get us there safe, I think we're going to really consider it. You know, let's say, uh, and, and this this map really shows really well. I think it's going to be in those bigger cities. We're not talking about you know the Midwest here. We're talking about you know places like New York, Philadelphia, Washington. Um, I could even see this working well in Miami. Um, sometimes you know you can't get from Miami to Fort Lauderdale that quickly because of traffic, but this could very much do it for you. Um, and, and I think you're going to continue to see it. I mean, let's think about Los Angeles to San Francisco. You know what I mean? Those are flights that I think could really could do better than a plane, especially if you can get the cost down and it's pretty safe. So I'm going to be watching for this. I, 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 know, I know that we're, we're still early, early innings, Chris, but it's going to be fun. Because I don't know about you, but once this doesn't become a prototype and they're taking flights, I know you and I are going to be calling. Like We're, we're going to be up. in the sky, right? I mean, next time <laughs> we meet up in Detroit, we might just be flying these around the city to get from, you know, point A to point B. Uh, so, you know, I think it's exciting times for the whole EVTOL market. Again, you know, I, I have the belief that, uh, you know, more than one of these companies can succeed, right? I think there's room 
for multiple ones. I mean, look at the fact we have multiple airlines, right? We're going to have multiple EV toll companies. Um, but I, I like this company. And as you said, Mitch, I mean, very nice laid out website, very nice presentation. Uh, I love the new ticker. And again, those aren't like, you know, huge things, right, that drive a stock price. But I think it shows that, you know, key to detail, right, to set the company up. And, you know, that's something that could, you know, help them go that extra mile. So just, you know, my two cents there. We'll keep an eye out on these companies. I do think this is one that we got to put in the right basket, right? We're talking pre-revenue. We're not talking something that's making money right now. So let's put it in that basket. Um, You know, we always talk about what baskets these are going in. That's going to be one of the ones that we'll be watching for the long run and seeing if we can match the expectations. We'll see if we get there. All right. uh, Coming up, you guys got the power hour. We got about nine minutes left here. I'm going to go ahead and get this ready for us. Now let's go ahead and take a look here, maybe at our watch list, see what we got moving out there. Um, Let's go ahead and take a look here. All right. So I'm going to pull up my watch list here, see what we got moving. Looks like CNGOEV still topping the list there, up double digits. Uh, This is an interesting one, right? Because this one fell out of favor. It's traded under 10 for a long time. Um, you know, as I said on the show yesterday, Mitch, I think some of these former SPACs that are under 10, people are starting to, to find them again and, you know, look at them in terms of, you know, valuation based on the, the former $10 floor. So I haven't seen any new news on uh, Canoe, but uh, it looks like people are uh, getting into this one. One thing we'll watch is to see if this one can continue. I did see the volume that was building up in the past 15 million now 12 million then today 10 million so definitely somebody's trading this goev bouncing back up there uh looks like atip finally potentially finding a bottom Look at that one yeah i i mean you just heard me say it right people are finding these spacs under ten dollars well look no further this is one that dropped way down <laughs> um it, and this, again, this is a company that does physical therapy, right? Uh, it, it Again, not, not a sexy industry, not a, you know, uh, one of those places retail investors usually look. But uh, based on valuation and this thing falling, I think people are just starting to, you know, think, hey, is the bottom in, like you said, Mitch. Yep, multiple bottoms near that 335. So that's really the level that you'd be seeing now. You can draw some extremes at 330 um, but pretty much that's the level we're going to look for we're going to look for it to come back through 450 if it could get through 450 maybe we can get into this wick and start looking to make up some of the shadow um, and I mean hey if it can get all the way back to 750 you're talking about a hundred percent gainer from here just clearing the shadow right so uh, is there risk and return there yeah of course both sides there's there's some risk there but there's definitely the return outlook there. Um, Mitch, let's look at... Uh, didn't expect a- to see it. <laughs> no, not, not at the top there. Let's look at AMHC a minute. So this was the high flyer yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. So shares are down today, but I want to point out this chart, it's, right? Mm-hmm. Because what happened yesterday with AMHC, right, was it was up huge in pre-market and, and then it dropped. And then what happened after our show aired, it did get a second leg going into the market close, which this is something I pointed out, right? I said, remember, this is one that is a a low, low float, and it could end up having another leg. So, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe 
if you were patient enough, you were able to, you know, take some profits there as well. So again, I don't expect this move to last forever, but this is a low float biotech SPAC. When it changes over to the new ticker next week, I think it's going to get a mention. And then after that, I mean, we may see this move fade. But this was a move that I uh, kind of called out yesterday on the show. Yeah, it's going to be one that we'll keep an eye out. AMHC there, Amplitude Healthcare. Let's keep going. Let's look at MP. If you guys don't know, I was actually giving out this stock as one of the stocks that was on my radar. PLL also was on my radar um, reason why is I really did like the chart. And now that we're starting to get this reversal, really starting to get me interested. Why? Because you guys know how I look. And, and I try to, to say this, not not every show, but more along to the show, you guys, that I, I constantly look for the same kind of things, right? So bottoming action, bottoming action, bottoming action. What do we get? A test of that again. And what did you get? A clear hold of definition there of support. That's what you want to see. And then what do you want to see from that level is a quick reversal, right? Look how it's getting strong now. I do like this stock to start pushing. Um, if I could get it at 33, that'd be kind of the level that I would look at because, of course, downside to the support is 31. I want to get a little bit closer. I don't want to be extending myself. But, hey, I think this one could make its way back up to, I don't know, maybe $40 in, in a week or so. Um, so, so, MP so Mitch, that, that $40 where you circled there, if you scroll September 13th on the chart is one mm -hmm. of those peaks, I believe, right? So yep. that was when they announced a share offering and then we saw shares fall, right? Because share offerings are typically, you know, negatively received by the market, right? So we saw shares fall and now, you know, as Mitch showed, we saw that support and now it's starting to come back up. So that's the story for me here is, you know, share offering because they need to raise money i mean this is a growth industry but the long-term story stays intact so um you know pay attention to the chart because you know you can you can play those moves right there yeah you know uh it, this is pretty much in sideways consolidation since about june so you know you did get some little peaks but it's pretty much in sideways consolidation you want to see it break out completely through that around let's say 37 is an important price point if you're going to get towards that 40 uh, definitely going to be on my radar and with this being said look at the other lithium plays they give you a signal that they are going into the green this was the other one i gave pll bottoming actions right same thing we want to see now let's see this one go into the green you want to see multiple of these go towards a big bar an etf that you guys can keep on watch is lit lit you want to see that one start pushing towards the high, maybe getting back towards, let's say, uh, the highs, the all-time highs over here towards that area, 87.50. That's what you want to be seeing. Let's see if we get it in the lithium plays. Um, moving on towards one that you gave earlier in the week to keep an eye out, INDI, Indy Semiconductor. And we, we saw this big pop, right, on the 21st. Now we're seeing the volume come back in it and starting to push towards that high. Let's see if we can get back up through that high. The high on that day was 12.08, which was the 21st of September. What are you thinking, Chris? Yeah, I mean, INDI is looking real good, right? This is one that I've liked since the deal was announced. It's a semiconductor play. It's connected cars. It's autonomous vehicles. I mean, Mitch, I hear you talk about autonomous. We just had our EV, uh, EV con, right, for Benzinga. And there was a ton of talk about electric vehicles and micro mobility. But what was the other big topic? Autonomous. 
right? And to get vehicles to that full autonomous driving, you know, semi-trucks, cars, Indy Semiconductor is one of the companies that can help take them there. So I like this as a play on connected cars going forward. All right, let's go ahead. Let's go towards, uh, let's, let's, let's see how Faraday's doing. Faraday's not too bad. I did see uh, that one trying, moving today, yeah. Trying to get it in hold above 10. You know, we always talk about that, trying to close a week above 10. And, and, and that's what we want to see, guys. Once we clear back above that 10, can we hold above that sideways action and then look for the breakout from that moment? DNA also not doing too bad today. One that, man, I'm telling you, Chris, when this one dropped – through the $10 price point, I had a feeling that you would have got a lot of retail to wash out, you know, the paper hands coming out there, you know, and, and, and folding over there in DNA because there was so many people that were bullish this stock. Um, and, and that, and that's why I like, I don't, I don't like falling in love with these. You gotta be careful because when you do fall in love, um, <laughs> you guys know how you get emotional. Uh, but definitely when we cut this crack, that was a, a great, great sign. And then one thing that happened here that I like is that on this day, the 14th, you got a high of 1082. But what happened the day after that? You actually got a test of 975 on that pullback. That that was the time to attack right there. Perfect sign. You get back above 10. Maybe you didn't want to buy this whole dip down here because, I mean, you were scared of, about, you know, buying into a bag completely understand that but once you get back above 10 look for those opportunities to get slightly underneath 10 and then see it really quickly back above 10 and then from that point on it never cracks 10 again that's where you would be right now in dna and you could just pretty much sit tight as long as it keeps this trend you see how it's just trending yeah it goes up but it comes back down it goes up comes back down comes up comes back down as long as it keeps that trend, you can hold on to it. Mitch, last one. It's one of our big votes next week. DMYI, right? IIU. Look at this thing. It traded at $10 for the longest time. And, and I, what I, happened? We've, we've been calling it out. We've said quantum computing, quantum computing. And now it's starting to get that run going into the merger vote. So uh, uh, we're over 10.50. Uh, I, I don't know. This one uh, is definitely on watch for next week. Definitely going to be on watch. I'll look for an opportunity to get it back at 10, but who knows? Maybe it's already made its move and I won't get that opportunity. Coming up next, you guys got the power hour. I heard they're going to talk a little bit about what happened in Bitcoin. Yeah, I said it, Wait, guys. Did something happened with Bitcoin today? What? What? You might just have to find out on the Power Hour. Stay tuned, guys. You got Hot Stocks, Luke. You got Aaron Bribe. Please let them know. What's going on, AB? I, I saw a video about NFTs on the street. Yeah, AB, I think I think AB is the next street reporter out there. He's the, he's the one to watch. He's going to be on talk show soon. Hey, you guys know how we do it here on the Spax Attack. We'll keep coming at it. You guys let us know in the chat. Who you want to see next? As you can see, we've been unlocking SPACs left and right. We're going to continue doing it. And like always, give us a thumbs up. Up next, you got the power hour. Get right over. We'll take you right in. Just stay right here. We direct you.